Hi everyone, my name is Haley and this is Straight Talk with the Doc, a podcast that dives into topics on addiction, mental health, and treatment. We explore subjects like substance abuse and harmful mental health disorders with the help of addiction medicine specialist Dr. Bott. How are you doing today? I'm good, Haley. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. So today's topic is a little controversial in the sense that Some question if an accurate diagnosis can truly be given to those with this disorder. Our topic today is on sex and pornography addiction. Early studies report that 3-5% of adults struggle with some type of addictive sexual behavior, but it can be hard to differentiate between what's normal human behavior and what reaches that threshold of becoming a diagnosable disorder. Dr. Bach, can you start by explaining what does it mean? You know, what is a sex and pornography addiction? We hear that term probably in clinical practice, and I think sex addiction has gained some notoriety um, in the media due to some famous people who have come out and it being reported upon Um, It's often a a misunderstood and stigmatized um, classification, if I use that. And I use that term because in many different um, diagnostic manuals, um, there is not really a formal uh, diagnostic, um, you know, identification for that uh, for that illness. But, um, you know, when we see sex addiction or porn addiction, it's really a, a combination of compulsive behaviors that involved um, either watching or utilizing or or engaging in sex or, or with pornography in ways that cause impairment and um, destruction and um, difficulties in many aspects of one's life. And um, often this causes a lot of distress uh, to people's relationships, to their finances, to their their professional lives, and so um, when we are having, um, you know, any one of the umbrella of sex or pornography, um, you know, whatever that can that could mean to that individual, um, it could be um, watching things, it could be engaging in relationships, it could be paying for sex, and we can talk about that further. But under that criteria, when that impairment starts to occur and it occurs in an impulsive, compulsive way, um, we, we've identified that as a, as a sex addiction. And we can go into more detail as, as we um, speak further today. Okay. So I know right now it's not currently recognized in the DSM-5. You know, is, why is that? Let's first of all separate the two. When we, when we use the term addiction and um, add sex or porn in front of it, it's because when we look at addiction, when it comes to traditional substances, there's a lot of research that's been done. There's a lot of like neuroimaging that's been done. There's been a lot of behavioral studies that have been done that have shown and demonstrated a, a commonality between the relationships, between the neurochemistry and the parts of the brain that are activated or involved and the ultimate behaviors that substance use entails. That is not fully demonstrated when it comes to sex. But not only that, because sex is a normal part of everybody's life, there's often a difficulty in us pathologizing that. And it is a subjective appraisal of what is considered, you know, normative or abnormal. And so being that there's some inconsistencies there, 
Um, it's very hard for right now, like the American Psychiatric Association, the DSM-5 and other, you know, different organizations around the world that are involved in classifying mental illnesses or behavioral addictions. Um, they have not come to a conclusive um, criteria for identifying that. But that does not mean people, sex therapists, sexologists, psychiatrists who deal with people with, you know, different types of behavioral and psychiatric and, you know, illnesses don't see um, people who are suffering with this, suffering with the problem of compulsive sexual behaviors um, that are affecting their lives in negative ways. So we have to recognize this constellation of behaviors. And right now it's appreciated as sex addiction. And um, I think until it evolves further, um, that's the term that's going to be used. But if you talk to many people that just focus on that, they'll definitely say sex addiction is a, is a major problem for, for many people. You know, like you said, though, sex is a common part of most people's lives. But I want to talk about the consequences. I think the dangers of a sex addiction are fairly apparent. You know, you can get STDs, unwanted pregnancies or infidelity. But what about pornography addiction? You know, how can that negatively impact someone's life? So I want to go back to the first part of your question. You know, when we talk about sex addiction, and let's just look at it as the term that we're, we're speaking about, it's not just the physical act of having sex. You know, many people who have, you know, these these issues are are dealing with often relationship problems. And they're they're dealing with the, the actual pursuit of of romance. They're often in the act of not just gratifying themselves. So there's even under this umbrella term of, of these sexual behaviors, there's multiple different types of or patterns of how this exists. And one of them includes looking at pornography. Now, we know that pornography has a lot of cultural interpretations, a lot of religious interpretations uh, as it being good or bad or morally acceptable or not. And, you know, even if it's within pornography, it's just watching somebody having sex with one another. But then within pornography itself, there's so many different fetishes and types of it that borders on, you know, everything from traditional reproductive type of sex versus, you know, harming other people. And so there's a lot of deviation from just reproduction and everything else. And what does that ultimately lead in terms of gratifying the person watching it? So when pornography and the pursuit of pornography and the use of pornography becomes so intrusive uh, and so obsessive that you're thinking about it every day, that you're sneaking off in the middle of work and watching it, that it, it interferes with your intimate relationships with the partner that you have, that you can't now be gratified by them, and um, or it brings up negative emotional experiences, um, there's, then there's, there's a problem. Because if you consistently are pursuing something in an obsessive way and you're getting anxious if you're not able to gratify yourself or obtain it, and you're using it to the point where it's destroying your relationships, um, then it's becoming a problem. And it doesn't have to be just sex or porn addiction. It could be 
any type of obsessive or compulsive type of behavior. Do people who have a pornography addiction, do they all kind of report having common problems in their relationships? You know, is there something missing in their relationship? For many people, you'll see that um, they often look at pornography initially um, without any sort of pathology. But often, if there's something missing in their relationships, then it can serve a certain purpose. Uh, often, in for many healthy relationships, pornography can serve uh, as a, a way to stimulate one another and, and actually experiment and do things that benefit the relationship. But often, uh, for many people, and, and males, for example, who might masturbate while watching pornography, they might not be able to now achieve an orgasm because they've led to looking at unrealistic expectations of this sexual act. And so, yes, in, in watching excessive amounts of pornography or pornography in a way that's being pursued for um, things that are missing in your personal life or cause impairment in your personal life, yes, this this, this becomes a problem. But, um, you know, many people are looking at it because they are either adverse, they might have anxiety, they might not be able to engage in sex with physical human beings, a real life human being, so they have to now watch it on television or through the internet. The fact that we do have the pervasiveness now, the availability of pornography. Uh, let's just face it, pornography is now accessible. It's available anywhere. You get on the internet and now it's just available. So people who may uh, not be able to go out and, and meet people, uh, might it might substitute, it might act as a surrogate. Um, and, and, and you start having relationships there. And uh, being that the internet now can facilitate, you know, having uh, relationships online through emails, through chat rooms and whatever, um, it, it kind of negatively reinforces. So if there is something missing in your life, if there's something that's absent from you, if you're suffering from an anxiety disorder, if you can't, um, you know, solve what's going on with you, often that artificial mechanism with a lot of boundaries or uh, things in the middle um, it serves that purpose to, to have that, uh, quote unquote intimacy in a, in a, in a almost un, non-intimate fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's almost a chicken or the egg debate, you know, are people pursuing their sexual addiction because they're unhappy in their relationships or is the sexual addiction causing the problems in their relationship? Yeah. I, I think once you're at that point, it, it becomes bi-directional. I think it does become a, a, a one one tends to worsen the other. Um, so um, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint what might have come first, unless you know you're actually exploring an individual's history, and then you might be able to pull that out. But once I think it's starting to become prevalent, um, the it tends to probably feed off one another. So there are higher rated reports of men having sex addiction than women. Is this a matter of women underreporting, or are there, you know, biological or social reasons why men have higher rates? I think it's all of those things that you just mentioned. Um, yeah, w women are stigmatized when it comes to, for, for years, for having to, being able to even talk about, you know, their own sexual wishes, um, their sexual behaviors. Um, there is a double standard that has existed in society for, for, hundreds and hundreds of years when it comes to 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 men versus women and the subject of, of sex. And, you know, uh, there's a double standard. So, um, yeah, I, women have 
out of shame and whatever um, whatever personal reasons, they're they're less willing to come forth when they have a problem, and and that's unfortunate. Um, but that's also again a responsibility that society has in making women feel that way. Um, and then there's also you know men men and the hormonal issues with men and often with sex drives. Not that w- women have less of a sex drive than men. And this is not just only about sexual. I don't want to make this purely just biological and not psychological, even though they're, they're tied together. But, um, you know, uh, I think with the biggest thing is without going into too much detail, yes, the societal issues have, have a major, um, role to play and, and, and men biologically, um, I think have been conditioned to, to, um, engage or be accepted in having sex and, and, and being, uh, again, negatively reinforced that a man's called a stud, a man's called cool, a man's called whatever, because of how many sexual partners or um, when, when he uh, engages in sexual activity. But we don't have that same uh, nomenclature uh, when describing a woman who's, who's doing that. So imagine then if you now have a problem with it and you're being promiscuous or you're acting out or you're doing something, it becomes very hard for women to, to do this. So we're going to probably have a lower collective data on this stuff. And, and, and as a result, we might perceive this as men having more of the problem than, than women. So everything you mentioned, it, it all correlates together is why we, we see uh, men having this more than, than women. Speaking of demographics, um, what age do you most often see people presenting with a sexual or pornography addiction? You know, we, we've seen this um, often in, in young, younger to middle age adults, people who are um, often in treatment. I, I, I see it often um, in, my, in my community because um, I treat predominantly those who suffer with addictions in general substance and chemical addictions. And it's very high comorbidity um, in that population. So I see it in the age group um, between 20 and 50. And that's often, again, correlated with uh, substance of abuse. And let's just be frank, it's often difficult to tease out because many people use their drugs to facilitate sexual behaviors. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a, it's a deviance deviant type of behavior or any uh, disorder, but it does become hard to tease out because many people who are using methamphetamines or cocaine they are using it to actually enhance or have more energy to engage in sexual gratification. But again, when we're dealing with mental illness and we're dealing with sex addiction and we're dealing with substance use disorders, there is a relationship between all of them. So in our clinical population, you're going to see the comorbidities exist. But with the age group that I'm talking about, I see it between 20 and 50 years old. And often one helps promote the other. One other thing I would like to add is that um, it's not just about that physical act of sex. For many women that we see, it's often that pursuit of the the, the love addiction, the, the pursuit of the actual engagement of wanting to be in a relationship and wanting to, uh, feeling that lust, feeling that wantedness, feeling that whole high in that euphoria and feeling well. And that's where that dopaminergic surge comes 
that feel good pleasure chemical, the reward chemical um, from that. And it often plays out in, uh, in cycles. And after that is that initial phases uh, goes away, then, you know, we see the, the relationship fall off and then the pursuit to be in another relationship again, because then you have to pursue the high. So again, I know we, we're calling the sex addiction, we're calling it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to do with the physical act of um, sex. It can involve intimacy, it can involve love, and it can involve um, just being in a relationship. So there's, 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 there's nuances to this. Are those who have a you know compulsive sexual addiction more likely to abuse substances than those who don't? Yes, as some studies I've seen as high as like forty percent um, of people who who have um, some sort of you know sexual obsessive uh, sexual behaviors um, who who do have co-occurring substance use disorders. I often see people with eating disorders, um, you know, gambling disorders. Um, there are there there are these co-occurrences that are that are there, but chemical dependency seems to be the highest um, when it comes to um, you know obsessive type of sexual behaviors um, going together. So, what types of therapies exist to treat these disorders? There are many type of psychotherapeutic interventions. You know, if it if it's affected couples, couples therapy um, is a big one. And and those who are certified in uh, treating uh, sexual addiction, they are often focus on this. And so, psychotherapies exist. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapies exist to help you know realign certain type of thoughts um, into more healthy behaviors. That's where the cognition and the behavioral comes together. There's also medications that can be used depending on what type of sexual type of behavior we're talking about. You know, there are medications, antidepressants, anti-anxiety agents that have shown to benefit, especially in certain people who might have hypersexuality um, or people who need to have, you know, the need for gratification all the time. So medications can help. But the mainstay is, and there's also support groups. I'm sorry, I need to add this. Um, you know, support groups are out there. There's, there's, you know, sex addict support groups that mimic 12-step models that are based on the 12 steps that help people with, um, you know, uh, overcoming this and, and support one another. And and process is huge in this. You know, there's there's one of the things that goes with any sort of behaviors that are often destructive or damaging to, to one's, you know, mental health or, you know, environment or their lives is that they have often unresolved conflicts, unresolved issues, uh, whether it be trauma, it be abuse, it be depression, anxiety, some physical ailment, um, some, you know, some issue that's happened in their life that um, it hasn't been processed well. And it can often be, um, you know, having to do with how they were brought up and um, issues with how they've identified with males or females. But, but the point is there, there are uh, multifaceted therapies that are out there and um, that people do focus on. So, you know, people who do suffer with, um, you know, watching pornography too much or engaging in sex too much or somewhere in their lives where this is becoming uh, a dysfunction or impairment and causing distress, um, there are treatments and modalities out there for people to uh, get help. Is there anything else on this topic that you think people should be aware of? 
there's this taboo, you know, again, there's a lot of shame that has to go with this, you know, because there's so many cultural and religious and just societal, um, I think, views on, on sex and pornography and, um, anything in, in, in that's related to this. So it's often a very, very embarrassing topic. And I think it's one of the most underreported. And I think we as mental health practitioners and people who work in substance abuse, as I said, because there's, there is a high co-occurrence there, we have to help, we have to explore, and we have to screen for it too. I, I do believe because there is often this interplay between trauma and um, certain behaviors that may result um, that, you know, we do have a role. So regardless if it's primary care, um, if it's in um, pediatrics, if it's going into um, the addiction and treatment world for substance use, there is a there's a place and a role in an appropriate screening type of thing that does fit the discipline that I just mentioned that can either be in a primary, secondary, tertiary type of prevention that can help people who suffer with, um, you know, let's call this obsessive sexual behavioral issues, um, sex addiction. And um, so people who um, may be embarrassed, who are filled with shame, um, don't go untreated or uh, unaddressed. So I think we have a responsibility here um, in this case as well as obviously encouraging people to, um, although it be embarrassing and maybe something that they're ashamed of, to please go out and seek that help. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great. Thank you for going over all of this, Dr. Bot. Um, if you want to learn more, we have more information on sex, love, and porn addiction at addictioncenter.com, as well as more podcast episodes. Episodes are also available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, so make sure to check those out. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.